We're in John chapter 4 this morning, continuing our series on the Gospel of John. I have to tell you, I've got some great feedback. Uh, this has been a really fun series, a challenging series for me. That's one way to do it. And, uh, you know, for me, I think the best part about this is the simplicity of it. Uh, I, I think we went into it knowing that the Gospel of John is something that a lot of us have heard a lot. Uh, a lot of us have felt the impact of some of the key verses in John. You know, John 3.16 is what we did last week. You know, a lot of us, that was like one of the first verses we memorized, if you grew up in the church. But John is so much more complex than when we give it credit for. And today's story could not be more of a dramatic revealing of that. I have to tell you, today's story in chapter four is probably top three. Top three. And I know last week I told you that Nicodemus in chapter three was one of the top. I'm telling you, maybe next week's will be top three too. I have no idea. I'm just saying, like, this is so good, you guys. It's so good. It's so good. And, and, and the reason it's good is because of the context of where we've come from. We've come from this just beautifully laid out imagery and understanding and theological statements from chapter one that John just gives us statements like, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, all right? And you're like, the first two verses, you're like, uh, like, what are we talking about? To the very laying out of these beginning signs with wine being joy in chapter two, then the extent of heaven and earth coming today together in a new way, and the temple being torn apart and then rebuilt in three days. A new relationship to chapter three, where it's engaging with the most religious sect at the time, the most righteous person at the time, and telling them they need to be born again, start over, become a child. You're in need of a savior. To this, this is where we end up off the four things. So, whatever we're talking about today, it's got some significance. Because it's the last of the first four signs, and it's in order this way. It's not chronological. It's told by the author, John, intentionally to get you here. And it's got a healthy place that we're going to challenge you, and it's going to pull on you. It's good. So I'm going to pray, because I've been pretty excited about that. I'm pretty jazzed. When I get pretty jazzed, I mean, I talk really fast, I forget things, and then I rush, and I don't need to do that. And let God work. Let, uh, let's just believe that the gospel of John is as good as it's been for 2,000 years. And that when I sit in my office, I'm just trying to get out of the way of what God's been using all this time. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, move in your spirit in this room. Spirit and truth, like the wind that we cannot see, your spirit moves, it engages at our hearts, it speaks to the deep parts of us that no one else sees, it rests and reveals and restores in those places. Lord, use your word again today. Broken people, homeless people, bring your spirit again, bring living water. It's your name we pray. Amen. Let's get in. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Chapter four, verse one. Here we go. Now Jesus learned about the, that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. I love the little insert here of John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. But you know what? Details, you know, that telephone game, they always kind of get broken down. I'm just setting the record straight. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, problem with that is 
there's this thing in between Judea and Galilee called Samaria. It's in between. It's like this. They're going to have to choose which way to go. Now, he had gone through Samaria. Now, you had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground where Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now, pause. I'm going to talk about this in just a bit because it's going to mention it again. But just know this. The Israelites never went through this middle section. There's Judea, and then there's Galilee, and in between is the other side of the tracts, Samaria. And everybody that's a good Jew goes around. But it said Jesus had to go through. But keep in mind, his disciples have never been here. They're in the new charted place. All right? I've heard, been told, don't go there. We're going there. Okay. Here we go. Verse 5. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired because he's man. Anytime you see something like that, we like to jump over that. He had limits, people. Fully man, but fully God. As an adult, don't you find it harder that you know the truth, but you can't do it? I feel like that's being human. But he's God. But he had physical limits. So he sat, all right? He was tired from his journey, so he sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Now, anybody around here the last week, it was about 185 degrees, all right? And you're sitting in the middle of a desert by water that you can't reach because it's a well. It's not a drinking fountain. It may feel like a drinking fountain. It's not. It's a well. And this well, the reason why they keep talking about it, is old. And you know this, wells don't get shallower, the longer they're around, they get deeper, harder to reach, tougher to get to. What's refreshing and hopeful at the bottom is further away than ever. You start to feel the symbolism of ancient genealogies and the quoting of Jacob and a well that he's sitting next to at high noon in the hottest part of the day but cannot get to. Starting to feel it. This is where we really start to engage this story because our other character shows up. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Oh my goodness. This, this right here scares the snot out of me. Can you imagine if she just blew him off right here? I mean, I'm not going to lie. You get up to heaven, you have that conversation with Jesus. He's like, that was me. And you were like, oops. <laughs> I was hot. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it's noon. <laughs> and in fact, you can see that John kind of lays this out for you. His disciples had gone into town to buy food, but Jesus hadn't gotten any yet. He's tired. They'd walked a long way. He's sitting next to a drink. Can you imagine sitting next to something you can't drink about, but you're exhausted, you're thirsty, you want it, it's right there. You're like, you know what, I'm in. Just dump, I mean, just jump in, right? And the woman puts this together, but she explains why this is even a bigger deal than you think. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask for a drink? Now pause. Remember, 
this is the other side of the tracks. Like, way other side of the tracks. Like, gender alone would have been enough. Like, in Judea or Galilee, a man would never approach a woman one-on-one and ask for anything. That's just against cultural rules. It's against what they've been taught since they were young. You're like, no, 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 don't do that. But it's also a Samaritan woman. These are, this, is, this is the place you walk around. This is the place you never go. I'm going to explain that in a minute when we get to it. But not only that, it's noon. And I know for us, you're like, yeah, that's when I'll be thirsty. But I'll tell you this, water out of this well was a daily chore for these people. You couldn't keep enough water in your house. You had to go daily and fill up some sort of jar and then bring it back to your house to have it. And these people didn't really have a need to wait They would go in the earliest morning hours when it was coolest and then have it for all day. So the fact that it's at noon tells us a little bit more about even who this woman Samaritan is. She's an outcast. In an outcast of people, she's an outcast in the outcasts. In the nation you walk around, they walk around and away from her. In a place that no one crosses through to talk to these people, this is a place that she goes when no one else is there. Because no one else wants to be around her. And I love that John puts that line in there because he knows his book's not just going to be written by people that understand this, but it's going to be written by lots of people or read by lots of people that aren't going to understand this completely. So he just puts this little note in here so you'll get it. So much more than this. For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Oh, thank you. Very helpful, John. And Jesus answered to her. Oh, this is where it just starts to... If you knew the gift of God, who is that asks for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, the way I visualize this, there's a well. Jesus is leaning up against it, trying to get any shade he can from the rock wall, all right? It's like it's high noon. He's like sucking to the side, trying to just get any shade he can, right? Woman walks up. He's thirsty. And he's like, oh, you got a bucket. Oh, you got a thing to hold water with. Hey, could I get a drink? Because all he sees is a child of God. All he sees is someone that God loves, All he sees is you have something and there's an opportunity here. But she sees pain. She sees brokenness. She sees the thing that's put her in exile. Gender, religion, geographical. And she's like, why are you even asking me? And then Jesus goes, girl, I'm not here for water. I'm here for something way better. And if you knew who you were talking to, this conversation would be flipped. But she's no dummy. So this is her response. I love her response. 
Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself as his sons and livestock did? Pause for a second. This is one of my favorite things about the Bible. When I read that, my initial thought is, wow, that is sarcastic. Wow, that is just, that is rough, right? Like, this woman is supposed to be cowering at the position that this man that is a Jew has over her. But instead, she responds with what seems to be a prepared answer. She is ready. She is bitter. But she's right. She's more right than she knows. This is the second time Jacob's brought up. Who the heck is Jacob? Let's talk about Jacob for a minute. Jacob is from Genesis 25, but he's the second born of his family. Uh, He actually has some really prominent things because he's the one that gets the blessing. But he stole it. And what's crazy about Jacob is he's in the genealogy of Jesus which means he's Jesus' great, 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 grandpa. And why this is important is the one. Starting to put it together here. The second born doesn't get the blessing And if you want to go read the story and how this steals it, but in Genesis 25, he tricks his older brother into tricking his older brother into giving them the blessing for a bowl of soup. A cup of soup for a blessing of lineage and legacy. One cup. Just think it's crazy that John mentions this multiple times because what is Jesus asking for? Single cup of warm normal water, and he's offering what? Legacy. Living water. Living hope. Eternal things. Now, why this is so cool is that's the actual place that Jacob lived, and he is the chosen one. He is a part of the lineage from Abraham to David to Jesus that will bless not only the nation of Israel, but the whole world. So Samaria is included. So she's saying it as a, no way, you wouldn't be greater than that. And he's starting to go, oh, we're connecting dots. Actually, this is going to work quite well. Go to the next verse. This is what Jesus answered. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And in my mind, I'm going, yeah, give me that water. How many of y'all been hot this summer, just one time, and you are just begging for a glass of water? I mean, in your mind, look at y'all. There's two people in here who have been thirsty, all right, two people. 
You know what that feeling is? How about this? This is mine. I wake up in the morning. I'm a mouth breather. I know my wife is righteous and good in God because she sleeps through my snoring. And I wake up, and I'm like, you know, like the, the, the breath could kill someone. And, and you're like, ah, and it's just so dry, right? And you get into the bathroom, and turn the sink on, and all of a sudden, you're like a ravenous animal. Maybe I'm just the only one. But you're like, ah, right? Maybe it's just one little cup. Maybe you're just more controlled than I am, you know? But then you start figuring out how much you can get. I'm trying to get you to think about, because that's how far we have to go to get thirsty. We don't get thirsty around here. Water back then was, you guys, it was life. Thirst was something they lived with because it was miles to the well. You know why they drank wine so much back then? Because it was safer than the water they most of the time drank. Because it was distilled, and so the water and the wine together actually created more of a healthy version. Low alcohol content, but it was healthier. The water, they couldn't even trust it to keep them alive, and they were thirsty for it. He's going, no, no, no. You ask me. A spring. Clean. Fresh, new, not deep and old, new and fresh. So, of course, what's her answer? I love her answer. It's so simple, right? Sounds great. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I'll have to come back here to draw again. That sounds great. Does it come in cup form? Like, how does this work? Do I just take it home and sip a little bit every day? Like, to just go inside of me and then I'm good. And then Jesus does what Jesus does. Told her, go and call your husband and come back. Her response, I see it as quick. Quick because she's been asked so many times. Quick because she doesn't like to talk about it. Quick because it's over there and it's, it's compartmentalized. It's not... It's not something she likes to talk about. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, doesn't let her off the hook, you guys. Doesn't let her off the hook. The truth is still there, full of truth and grace. So John tells us, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you have right now is not your husband. And her response is, what you say is quite true. Let me explain to you why this is so painful to read. Let me explain to you why this hurts so bad. A woman in the first century, a woman in the first century, she is property. She's considered property. Not just a Samaritan, just a woman. She, she's considered property. She cannot own land, it's forbidden. So a life or lineage or heritage of wealth cannot be passed on. She can't own anything. Uh, she can't hold a job. It's not really allowed. It's not really something that they're allowed to do because that's not her role. It's not who she's deemed to be or valued. And she really has no rights. She has no rights. She can't vote. She can't tell a man no I don't want to marry you. 
Most of the time, it's property exchange with her father, another man. I give you to him. Not your choice. Now listen to the Samaritan people on top of that. This is her as a woman. This is just Samaritans. They have no temple. The Samaritans cannot go to the Jewish temple. They cannot worship. They are seen as unclean. Because see, when Babylon came in, you can go read about it in Daniel. Babylon came in, they took the brightest and the best people and they conquered Israel and they left behind these people. They left behind this group of of Israelites that intermarried with the nations around and intermarried with the Babylonians and intermarried with the nations around Israel and they then became kind of like half-breed Israelites. But then the wall is rebuilt around the city and the nation of Israel is reconstructed and guess who's back? It's all the people from Babylon. They return and then they have this group of people, the Samaritans. And because of the law, and because of the way the relationship with the temple works, they're not allowed to come back. So their interaction with God and the temple is limited, so much so that they actually build a second temple close to Egypt and actually go there to try to do what they're doing in Israel. It's crazy. What else? They have no homeland. Most of them have intermarried, but both places don't want them. Neither of them want them. They have no place to go, no place to be. Samaria is a cutout section that's basically like, yeah, just chill there. It's a desert. This is your place. But no group of people or nation wants to claim them. They have no future. They're landlocked. There's nothing they can really do. And they definitely have no rights. They have no say. This woman, at high noon, the other side of the tracks, isolated and alone in in a country that's already been isolated and alone, has no rights, is considered property, has no future, no job, no land, no home. And when Jesus points out that she doesn't have a husband, it's just... Brings all that rushing back in. Those husbands, that's probably not even her choice, truthfully. Could have been her unfaithfulness. Could have just been his, I'm done. I can't afford you. I don't want you. I found something better. Rejection of any kind found in this story. We just don't know. But thank goodness the story doesn't end there. Oh my gosh, that would just be heartbreaking if that's where the story ended, but it doesn't. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Oh man, she is. Been thinking about this. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but the Jews claim that the place that where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's talking about a place of worship that Jacob, her ancestor, used to use in Sychar. Woman, oh my gosh, remember, this is a term of endearment. This is, not a, this is not a put down. We talked about that when Jesus interacted with his mom in John chapter two. Remember, this is queen. This is daughter. This is language of endearment, of value being placed on her. 
before he even says anything. That's how he starts. It's important. It's how he sees her. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor on Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. You do not understand the differences between what I'm offering and what's been offered. Nor we worship what we worship what we know. For salvation is what? Is from the Jews. That would have been hard to hear. But she's mentioned multiple times. They're at Jacob's well, and she's still using it. Her daily salvation. Verse 23, yet a time is coming, listen to this, and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father and in spirit and in truth. Where have we heard that before? I believe in chapter three with Nicodemus. We just heard this a chapter earlier. He tells them the exact same thing. A person has the highest respect, the highest religious order. In the Jewish, he tells them the exact same answer. You need to be born of the spirit. It's a new move. It's a new covenant. It's a new work. Those, they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Worship here is a place of honor, of servitude, of coming underneath the authority of. Those are the types of people. So she's like, that sounds awesome. I've also heard this. I've also heard this. So she speaks this out loud, and it's beautiful. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and truth. Oh, I'm sorry, finish that part. That's just him laying it out. Jesus, the same exact thing he said to Nicodemus. And the woman said, I know the Messiah, the Savior called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Why I am considered property why I have no future, why I've been left out in the desert, why have I been rejected so many times, why do I feel this way, why have I been left here alone? He'll explain it. He'll explain it. And Jesus declared, Declared is such a strong word here. It's as if he was on the ground and he stood up and he gathered himself to his full position with love in his eyes and he looked at her. And he said, I, the one you're speaking to, I am he. You guys, in that moment, she remembers he's asked for a cup from me. He He's talking to me. He hasn't gone around Samaria. He's, he's gone through Samaria. He hasn't left me in a far off place, but he's met me right here at the well of Jacob where the second born, the forgotten, was given the blessing. Where the, where the one that stole and hurt and broke his very own family was restored and brought into the very story of Jesus. And I can't help but think, her heart, what would it feel that she's putting this together, that her Savior, the one that could give her a future, the one that would restore her rights, the one that would not claim her as property, but as a daughter, as a queen, would overflow she would feel it for the first time. But God intended. And I want you to hear her heart through a prophecy about living water in Ezekiel. Hear her heart 
through words hundreds of years before she was born about what God longed to do for every single person, including her. Then back to the entrance of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Next, he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate that faced east. There, the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went out east with a measuring line in hand, he measured off a third of a mile and led me through the water. It came up to my ankles. Then he measured off a third of a mile and led me through the water. It came up to my knees. He measured off another third of the mile and led me through the water. It came up to my waist. Again, he measured off a third of a mile, and it was a river that I could not cross on foot, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be crossed on foot. He asked me, do you see this son of man? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I had returned, I saw a very large number of trees along both sides of the river bank. He said to me, this water flows out to the eastern region and goes down to Araba. When it enters the sea of the sea of foul water, the water becomes fresh. Every kind of living creature that swarms will live wherever the water flows. And there will be a huge number of fish because the water goes there. Since the water will become fresh, there will be life everywhere the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside it from Engedi to Engedi-Leglam. There will be places where nets are spread out to dry. Their fish will consist of many different kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea, yet its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be left for salt. All kinds of trees providing food will grow along the banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fall. Each month they will bear fresh fruit because the water comes from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be used for food and their leaves for medicine. Living water, real living water that would not just do a small work but would do a complete work, restoring the land, restoring everything inside her heart, not just bringing relief in a moment, but restoring her completely. Restoring her completely. What starts as an isolated relief in a well becomes a river of eternal life. What starts as isolated relief at noon from a well becomes a torrent, a flood, a river of eternal life in her heart. What's the best part of this story? It's what she does with it. This woman who's run away from every relationship, who's been rejected by her town, her city, who has been pushed to the fringes and been torn apart by the choices of others and probably her own, chooses to re-engage. 
chooses to step back in, chooses not to be defined anymore by that, but by something new and fresh and living. In verse 39 of chapter four, we get this. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And her testimony was not, wow, look at me, I'm perfect. Wow, I know all things. Her testimony was just, he told me everything I ever did. He knows me, and yet he loves me. He knows me, but yet he accepted me. He knows all the things I did, and he's the only one I've ever experienced pulling closer at that moment. And because of his words, many more became Samaritans came to him. They urged him to stay, to stay with them two more days at least. And then we get verse 42, and I love verse 42. They said to the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. We now have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Full life, John 10, 10, is what we pursue. We pursue it with everything we have, fully seen, fully restored, and deeply loved. And I'm telling you right now, we are blessed to bless. We are blessed to bless. We are blessed to bless because though we may come in here looking for relief in a well, we must leave here in the river. Leave here with full life gushing out of us that we could not help, that we could not stop ourselves, that we must tell, that we must spread the word, that we must say what, what our Savior knows and what our Savior does. But he moves. He restores. So our response time this morning, it's going to be amazing. I think you're going to enjoy this. We have a new song, and it's going to engage us right where we're at with the story. And just like Ezekiel 47, where the starts out like a trickle outside of this temple that the presence of God would flow into the land and that it would gain momentum and it would go against the grain, not west to where the sun is, but into the darkness of the east. That it would go where no one's at, where light is not, and it would bring back and restore what was intended. So as we respond this morning, We'll have a team of people who would love to pray with you in the back. Just in the back. And if you need prayer, if you need, you need to just hear again from your Heavenly Father, you are loved. You are seen. And that living water is open to you. And whether it's the first time or it's just a new wave, we'd love to pray with you. Maybe you just need to turn with someone right where you're at. You just say, I need some living water today. Would you pray with me? I need a new single cup to overflow. And wherever you're at on that, we're going to engage in this song together. So whether that's standing up and singing, whether that's closing your eyes and listening to the words, or whether that's singing in your seat, we're going to worship our Father, respond to him together, come to the river. Let's respond to God.